One of the primary deceptions of the enemy of your soul is to convince you that you are alone. He's called a liar for good reason. Today, we're going to expose that lie and encounter the God who sees and reminds us, you are not invisible. Welcome to the Sifted Wheat Podcast with Leslie Lamb, a counselor by profession, a minister of truth, and a lover of people. This is a safe place where she sets a path for others to learn how to move through hard seasons with confidence and grace, encouraging your faith, empowering your choices, and challenging your perceptions through the word, the wisdom from years of counseling others, and her own experience of being sifted. Here's Leslie. At one time or another, maybe even right now, you've had the sense that no one sees you. And if they did, they wouldn't like what they see and would reject you, or that you're all alone and no one's coming to find you, or even more so, that God doesn't care about your pain or your suffering. The reality is you're not alone. Many people have felt that way. I have felt that way once upon a time. One of the first times that we see God meeting the, what I'll call the invisible ones, is in Genesis, in the story of Hagar. Here's a little backstory. Hagar came to be Sarah's maidservant because Abraham made the choice, or Abram at the time, made the choice that his wife was too attractive to be considered his wife. So he told her, we're going to tell everybody that you're my sister. That way, they'll leave me alone, and maybe I'll get some good things out of it. Okay, maybe he didn't say that, but I think that might have been some motive in why he said what he did. Mainly, he didn't want to get killed. So they concoct this lie, and Sarah moves forward, and she is. She's beautiful, and the king sees her, and he thinks that she's beautiful. And so he takes her into his palace to become one of his. We don't know if that's actually a wife or that's a concubine, but for whatever reason, she becomes the possession of the king. So that is how Hagar gets to be a part of the story. See, When Sarah was invited into the king's palace, she was given servants, and one of those servants was Hagar. And when the king found out what Abram had done and the lie that he had told and the hardship that the palace was going through because of the lie that he told, he told Abram, not only take your wife and get out of here, but he also gave her everything that was connected to her. And that is how Hagar became connected to the story of Abram and Sarah. So where do we find Hagar years later, right? Sarah and Abraham have tried to have a child and it's not been possible. It hasn't happened. And so she decides, which is not completely unusual, though we would say it is bizarre. She gives her handmaiden to Abraham in order to produce an heir. And that handmaiden, Hagar, gets pregnant. And it says that once she gets pregnant and she realizes that she's about to give an heir to Abraham, she feels pretty good about herself. And it says that she becomes haughty or prideful towards Sarah. And this ticks Sarah off. And so basically she goes to Abraham and she says, hey, Hagar's giving me a hard time and she's rubbing it in my face that she's having your baby and you need to do something about it. And Abram says, you know what? You deal with it as you see fit. And so Sarah deals with it. And she sends Hagar away. And the next thing we know, we see Hagar and she's feeling rejected. She's feeling alone and she's feeling afraid because she's pregnant with this child. And now she has no 
source of connection to provide for him. And that is the very place that God sees her. And God says, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? See, in that moment, God shows up and he knows who she is and he knows who she's connected to. This is a hard story, but we have to understand that what is happening. God is not calling her out as Sarah's maid to say that she's less than. God is calling her out to say, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what's inside of you. And I know what you want. So he has this discussion with her and she knows, she knows that she has been seen. And God says to her, look, I know that you're under really hard circumstances. And I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit in Leslie's speech. And basically he says, but I need you to go back and I need you to submit to Sarah. And I need you to ultimately receive what I have for you because Ishmael is inside of you. And I have a blessing for Ishmael. The blessing for Ishmael is that he will also be a nation. But here's the thing. The blessing of Ishmael could not come forth through Hagar alone. It had to come through her connection with Sarah and with Abraham. But what was her response? Was it blame? Well, you don't know what she did to me. Was it justification? Look, I'm not going back there because I don't know what's waiting me and I feel like I'm better off wherever I am. No. What she said was, you are the God who sees. She gave him a name. She called him Elroy. Something is really specific about this moment. And as I have spent some time to just study it, it's interesting to know that Hagar felt seen in that moment. Because seeing is more than just observation or having physical sight. It's an intimate knowing. She wasn't just saying the God who saw me in this place and met me. She was saying the God who sees my heart, the God who sees my pain and the struggle and the pride and the fear and meets me with his deliverance or his blessing. I was recently watching TV and there was an ad that came on for a show. And one of the lines that was in the ad was this woman and she was just weeping. And she said, I have never felt more seen. Have you felt seen? Not just what you show to the world, but who you are, the heart you hold, the motive of that heart, seen, not just observed but known, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In that moment, Hagar felt seen. She was seen for the woman that was carrying a baby. She was seen for someone who was not choosing to submit. She was seen as someone who was afraid for her future. And God met her in how he saw her. And he told her, you have to return to Sarah. You have to submit. You can't be prideful about this. And you have to ultimately be there in order to receive what I have for you, not just what I have for Abraham or for Sarah, but for what I have for for you. You know, in my story as a victim, I believe that I was seen in the sense of I was observed, I was attended to at times. But in my sifting season, I was learning that God not only saw me in my struggle, but he was aware of what got me there. 
He knew me intimately, naked and ashamed in a wilderness not of his making. He called to me, where are you? And he met me. And in meeting me, he was saying, I can get you through this. I just need you to go back to where this started. Humble yourself and see what I have for you on the other side. I can deeply relate to Hagar because a lot of things were operating in my life that I was unconscious of. A lot of the trauma that started when I was very, very young had created belief systems that were continuing to entangle me in relationships and situations where I just kept getting hurt over and over and over again. And God showed up in my wilderness season and he said, I see you. I encountered El Roy and he is good. It's interesting that no other Bible character gave God a name. Many called on his names based on what they observed of him or their experience with him, but there's no scripture that indicates that any other person said to God, I will give you a name. You are. But Hagar did that because intimacy created familiarity and familiarity built trust. So when Hagar left that place, she wasn't leaving that place kicking and screaming. She was leaving that place knowing that the God who sees her would continue to see her. And no matter what met her on the other side of that journey, he was still going to be with her and he still had a promise for her. And that promise was good. There's another story in the New Testament with Nathaniel and Jesus. So we get this image of a burdened and distraught man who's sitting underneath a tree. And we know that he's burdened and distraught because one, Philip, his friend, goes to find him and tells him, I've found a savior. So there's this idea that the savior that they've been looking for is found and it's going to help his friend, Nathaniel. The second reason we know that he may be burdened and distraught is by his response because it's laced with skepticism. His response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? That is a very passive-aggressive way of saying, I doubt you have what I need. But what happens when Jesus approaches? Well, first of all, immediately he pronounces the character of Nathaniel, and he says these words, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus saw Nathanael. Maybe Nathanael was struggling with what others thought of him. Maybe he was feeling rejected and judged. Maybe he had been searching for the Messiah and had come up empty and was feeling a bit of hopelessness. I've been there before when my expectations weren't met for how healing might happen. And then I begin to wonder, is anything possible? Is there really a source of deliverance? Can anything good come from this? And Jesus's words no doubt held great meaning because the next thing that he says to him is, how do you know me? And Jesus says these words, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Let's let those words settle in. Before you were called, I saw you. Does that sound familiar? I think of the words of Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, 
I set you apart. The God who sees from the very beginning of conception to the very end of our life is showing up and saying, I see you. That is powerful. When we know that we are seen, we can trust the one who sees us. When we trust him, we can follow him. And when we follow him, we will receive what he has for us. Both Hagar and Nathaniel were able to trust God after that encounter. Both of them determined that what he said to them and how he saw them was enough to make them believe that they could trust him. And if they could trust him, they could do what he had told them that they should do. It's kind of the same in my own story. There was one verse that truly became a lifeline in my sifting season, and it was Psalm 103, 13 through 14. And it says this, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. God saw me. He saw what formed me, what conditioned me, what informed me. And he saw me and he had compassion on me. That was life-saving. When I was in that moment, it's like God was saying, daughter, not only do I see where you are, but I see every step of the way that led you here. And I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to find you. I'm here to reveal all of the tactics of the enemy that have kept you entangled to trauma and to harm. And I want to unwind all of that for you and bring you back into a deeper understanding of who you are and whose you are. It was the same story with Hagar and Nathaniel. He saw me in that hidden place. And he said, daughter, I'm exposing this not to bring you further harm, but I'm exposing this so that I can bring you deeper healing. When we're being sifted, we need to ask, what if what God has for me is on the other side of this valley? What if what God had for Hagar was on the other side of the wilderness? And it was. It was Ishmael, and he was going to be a blessing And for Nathaniel, it was on the other side of the tree, and it was going to be a blessing. Nathaniel was going to be a follower after Jesus, and he was going to learn the ways of Jesus and all of the things that were inside of him that were pure and undefiled were going to meet it in the personhood of someone who was pure and undefiled. Maybe he had been injured by religion. Maybe he had been injured by religious leaders who looked at him and didn't think he qualified. And so when Jesus showed up and said, not only am I the Savior, not only do I see you, but I also recognize your character is good, and I'm calling you to follow me, to be connected to me, to represent me to the world around you. That was beautiful. And even in our crushing, what if it's meant to expose, like Hagar, our pride, the part of us that wants to stand up and say, I don't deserve this, or I deserve better, or, you know, now that I've gained something, I'm lording it over someone else. That's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God for us, and it's not the heart of God through us. Or maybe the sifting and crushing is meant to reveal my true character. 
Maybe trauma has said that I am not enough. Maybe trauma has said that I will never heal. Maybe trauma has said that I will never get up out of this space. And Jesus is showing up and he is saying, I am not causing this crushing, but I want you to learn from this crushing that there's something better on the other side and the better is in you. I am in you. And the truth is like Hagar and Nathaniel, we have a choice in this wilderness or by this tree. We can be found by the one who sees or we can continue to stay in hiding and listen to lies that don't have our best interest at heart. The lie that says we're invisible, that no one sees and no one cares. Maybe some people in your life have given you that image, but it's not true. It's not intrinsic to how God views you. The word compassion is a strong word. That word does not sympathy. It's not, I see you and I feel for you. Compassion says, I suffer alongside you. I recognize the suffering that you're going through, and I'm going to meet you in it to bring you through it. We can only know what is on the other side of this journey if we walk the narrow path. And like Hagar, it might require some humility. Or like Nathaniel, it might require putting aside the labels of the past and putting away our hopelessness and our discouragement to trust the God who sees. Do you trust that God sees you? Do you trust that you're valuable enough to be seen? Is the voice inside of your head telling you differently? I want to expect that a little bit more. And our next time, we're going to talk about who's in your ear. How is that affecting the way that you see yourself, the way that you see God, and the way that you see others? And what does it look like to maybe shift who you're giving that attention to and focus on the truth of what God's word says that you are. But it starts with recognizing that you are seen. You are not invisible. Mm -hmm.